Old Testament lesson comes from 1 Chronicles 29, verses 1 through 15. It can be found on page 343 in your pew Bibles or page 666, don't get nervous, in the large print. 1 Chronicles 29, 1 through 15. Before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made, and we thank you for what you have given to us. We thank you for your word that you have given to us. We ask that you would give us understanding of your word, that you would give us ears to hear your word read and proclaimed, that you would give us minds to understand, and God, that you would soften our hearts, that you would prepare us even now to hear it, and that you would change us from the inside out, that we would be the people who would live it. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. First Chronicles chapter 29 begins uh, with King David. King David, who is getting ready for Solomon to take over the throne. And so he addresses everyone. And so it says, King, Then King David said to the whole assembly, My son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. The ta- Thanks, Dad. The, the task is great but because this palatial structure is not for man, but for the Lord God. And what is getting ready to happen is David had been told by God that he was not the one to build the temple, but that Solomon would. And so this is what they are preparing for. And so David continues, With all my resources I have provided for the temple of my God, gold for the gold work, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, and wood for the wood as well as onyx for the settings, turquoise, stones of various colors, and all kinds of fine stone and marble, all of these in large quantities. Besides, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God, over and above everything I have provided for this holy temple, 3,000 talents of gold, gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver for the overlaying of the walls of the buildings, for the gold work and the silver work, and for all the work to be done by the craftsmen. Now, Who is willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today? Then, the leaders of families, the officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly. They gave toward the work on the temple of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. Anyone who had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the temple of the Lord in the custody of Jehiel the Gershonite. The people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Continuing to verse 19. It says, But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have, only, we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as well as were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow, without hope. Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name 
comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I have given willingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who, have, who are here have given to you. Lord, the God of our fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever, and keep their hearts loyal to you. And give my son Solomon the wholehearted devotion to keep your commands, statutes, and decrees, statutes and decrees, and to do everything to build the palatial structure for which I have provided. One more verse. Then David said to the whole assembly, Praise the Lord your God. So they all praised the Lord, the God of their fathers. They bowed down, prostrating themselves before the Lord and King. Turning then all the way to the end of the book of Revelation. We have a somewhat similar and yet different scene. Those bowing before the one on the throne. But this time, this is in the vision given to John. So don't worry if it sounds somewhat dreamlike. It says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they? And where do they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore... They are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them or any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we come to our sermon text this morning, I'm going to ask that you pay close attention. Because I'm preaching this morning on, in a way that I've never done before. I'll get to that in a second. Listen carefully. This is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 uh, through 15. This is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus has been preaching about what it means to live authentic lives uh, as Christians. To give to other people, not so that people will see you giving, but because people need you to give. Praying, not so that other people will see you pray, but because you actually want to relate to God. And this is what he's talking about in this particular section. Uh, In Matthew chapter 6, it says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. 
Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. All right. I ask you to pay close attention, and I hope you did. You'll notice on the front of our bulletin, we have the Lord's Prayer that we recite every Sunday. There's a part of this prayer that is in bold because we have been working our way over the past several weeks through this prayer. And this particular week, you may have noticed the line, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I didn't just read that out of Matthew. It's not there. I actually told my kids earlier this week that for the first time ever, I was going to be preaching on something that's not in the Bible. And to their credit, their response was, oh, no, Dad, don't. (laughs) It's good to have people around you who will hold you accountable, (laughs) keep you on the right track. But let me explain. Well, I say this is not in the Bible, technically, uh, you'll probably notice your Bible has a footnote, but it will be included down there in the footnotes. And it will even say, Uh, Some late manuscripts will include this particular line. All right, what in the world is that about? And I'm going to just talk a little bit about some kind of how the Bible gets from those who wrote it to us today. Just because this is one of those areas that gets thrown up at Christians from time to time and say, oh, your Bible's been copied and changed so much, how can you even trust it? And let me tell you. This is one of those places that uh, people will go to, and it's one that will easily throw Christians who don't know how it comes about because you go, I don't know. We say this part, and then I read it, and it's not in there. What's going on? Here's what's going on. When people were uh, writing down the scriptures, passing them from church to church and place to place, they didn't have laser printers. They didn't have copy machines. They didn't even have printing presses. So they're writing these down by hand, which takes a while. So you have uh, kind of generations of copies being made. And this is where things can get changed as it goes through. And this is, of course, the accusation always is that there are so many changes that are in there. But there are some that get in there, and here's one of them, and here's how it happened. This prayer just like we say it in church every Sunday, the very, earliest, the very earliest Christians were saying this prayer together as they would gather together because Jesus said, this is how you're to pray. And they said, if we're going to follow Jesus, then that's how we're going to pray. And they would pray that way. But at the conclusion of their prayer, they would also add in this, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Why do they add that in? In their worship times together. It's a fitting conclusion. It's a fitting conclusion to a prayer that is all about about God being the king, 
about this, yes, our Heavenly Father, but our Heavenly Father, the one who is in charge, the one who is a king over the kingdom of heaven that is, operates very differently than the kingdoms of this world. He is the one who has the power that is very different than the power structure of this world. This, by the way, is why uh, in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes and says, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. Why? Because you're serving and worshiping a Savior who was hanging on a cross and died. That is not a symbol of power in the kingdoms of this world. In fact, in the kingdoms of this world, that is the ultimate signal and symbol of weakness and not having power. If he'd had power, he wouldn't have gone to the cross, right? But he lost in the world's terms. And this is why when preaching the message of the cross, the message of Jesus, Paul says to people who don't see it, who don't understand what the kingdom of God is all about, it is foolishness. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but says to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The cross itself, the power of God. Power working through the weakness of this world. We asked a question last week about, you know, how is it that God could get rid of all of the sin and all of the wickedness in all of the world without destroying us when we know that we have sin and wickedness in ourselves? How could he do that? You think of the most powerful devices we have today. Most of them are destructive. But even those that are healing can't take away the sin and the wickedness inside our hearts. The cross does. This is what does that. And Mr. Clean's magic eraser has nothing on it, as amazing as that is. This is a whole different kind of power. And so when the church would gather together and they'd pray this prayer as a part, they would say, for thine is the kingdom and the power. And of course, the glory forever. Because it's all, the story is all about him. It's not about us. We're a part of his story and how he relates with us. But it's his story. It all comes from him. It all goes back to him. The glory is to be his. And so in everything that we're doing, uh, whether we're together or apart, the glory should go back to him. I have a little miss. I like this story. I'm just going to read it to you as is. It's about a little church rivalry, which I have to say, I'm pretty glad that in this community, I don't feel this sense of church rivalry. And I like that. But apparently there was a community that did have some. And so there's Little River Community Church. It was just down the street from First Memorial Church. And since they were on the same street in the same town, the two youth groups from the two churches were often competing with each other. They participated in the same softball league, the same basketball league, and had become intense rivals. <clears throat> Little River Community was always trying to outdo First Memorial and vice versa. One Sunday, following a Bible study on serving others, the youth group at Little River Community Church decided to go out into their community and put their faith into action. The youth pastor organized the kids into ministry teams and challenged them to go out and serve others. They could do anything, but they needed to remember, do what Jesus would do. 
So the youth group from Little River Community fanned out into the neighborhood and started serving. One group washed cars for people up and down the street. Another group pumped gas for free at a self-service gas station. Another group went to a convalescent home and sang songs to the shut-ins who lived there. After the time was up, all the ministry teams returned to the church and reported what they had done. Each group had stories to tell as they shared what they had learned and how it made them feel. One of the groups told how they had gone to serve a woman who lived close to First Memorial Church. When First Memorial, was, their rival, was mentioned, everyone groaned. We mowed grass, raked leaves, and did yard work for her, said one of the students. She was real nice, and after we were through, she invited us in and prayed for us. And then she said, you young people from First Memorial Church are always doing such nice things for us old folks. Oh, no, said the youth pastor. She thought you were from First Memorial? Well, I hope you set her straight. Did you tell her that you weren't from First Memorial, but from Little River Community? Well, no, we, we didn't, said the student, surprised by the pastor's question. You told us to do what Jesus would do, didn't you? So we just we decided that Jesus would just keep his mouth shut. I like that one. Because when we look at you know, God getting the glory, or ourselves getting the glory, a lot of the times, a lot of ways that we can put that into uh, practice in our daily lives of how we look at that and think about it, is how concerned are we that we get the credit versus God getting the credit? Naturally, we seem inclined to, if we do something good, we want to let everyone know. And if we do something bad, we want to make sure nobody finds out. And as we go through biblically, it's almost backwards completely, where we're supposed to do good things and not be concerned to let anybody know about those. Just make sure that God gets all the glory for everything good going on. And then when we do bad things, rather than keeping it all hidden, we're actually supposed to let that out. Yep, I did that. I messed that up. That was me, and I'm sorry. Very backwards from what is natural to us. But when we are concerned with trying to always get the credit, that's when we are, it's a good sign anyway, that our primary concern is building our own kingdom instead of the kingdom of God. This is why, as we go through uh, this prayer, the church, the early church would have concluded this by saying, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. It's what makes sense of the whole rest of the prayer. If, God's, if it's not God's kingdom, if it's not his power, if it's not his glory, the glory going to him, why bother praying the rest of it? But all the rest of it makes sense because it is his kingdom. It is his power. And it is his glory. And this is what we find, <clears throat> I said earlier, you know, that uh, the church would have been saying this together. They would have been praying this together. How does it end up in, in our prayer that we pray together now? It's not in the Bible. Well, it actually was for a while in the Bible. Because so what happened is, as they keep saying this together, this is what would be ringing around in the Christian's ears. And so as somebody goes to copy down the book of Matthew, they see that, hey, they left out that line we always say. Better put it back in, <laughs> even though it had never been there originally. Now, how do we know this happened? As you read in your footnote, it says it's the late manuscripts, or it's the late ones that have it, it's the early ones that don't. And so you can tell when this came in. And so this is where I want to make sure that you are clear on this. 
as far as the changes that happen through Bibles. And now can I even trust the Bible that I read? How do I know it's the same one? Let me tell you. There are changes because of hand copying that happen. Most of those differences amount to things like spelling errors and things that don't make any difference in meaning at all. Others, like this one, much more substantive of a change. We've got lots of words in there that weren't there originally. And yet... We know that it wasn't there because of the, uh, the amount of documents that we have that have survived from the early days. And so we can compare them, and we can say, okay, this one was earlier, and this one came later, and we can see how that came in. And so the Bibles that you have that are uh, these English translations today take this issue very seriously, and they want to make sure that the Bible that you are reading is actually what was written, is actually the inspired Word of God. So... Don't let something like this, one of those footnote things, where you're like, I don't understand. Why is it not there? Don't let that throw you. Don't let that um, cause you to doubt the rest of it. But also look at this. That even in this footnote thing, this thing that crept in but was never uh, a part of it originally, is still okay to pray. It is still right to pray. Because it's an idea that we find throughout the whole rest of the Bible. And so as we read the prayer of David earlier, what was he saying? Then yours, Lord, is the kingdom. The, uh, you're exalted as head over all. Okay, I've got it right here. Uh, yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You're exalted as head over all. Does that sound familiar? Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. They're all in there. We find this several other places as well. I just picked out a few of them uh, that we read this morning. So we see, as we pray this prayer, this is what ties it all together. And it's okay that this one ends up in a footnote. And it's okay that uh, we still pray it together each Sunday as we gather. But more than praying it, together as we gather is living lives like this, that acknowledge with our living that it's God's kingdom, not the kingdoms in the world, that it's his kind of power, not ours, and that we're concerned that he gets the glory, not ourselves. With that in mind, let us conclude uh, today. We'll stand together and pray this prayer the way that the early Christians would have prayed it, which is not with our eyes closed and heads bowed and hands folded, but actually with our hands, palms up, eyes to the heavens, and open. Let us stand and pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen.